You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Distinguished guests, good afternoon. My name is Joseph Sani. I'm the Vice President of the Africa Center at the U.S. Institute of Peace. The U.S. Institute of Peace was founded by Congress in 1984 as a nonpartisan, independent institute with the goal to help prevent, mitigate, and resolve conflicts around the world. In Africa, we focused mainly in, on mitigating the adverse effects of the strategic competition on addressing drivers of fragility such as political instability, violence, extremism, malinformation, disinformation, and misinformation as well. We also focus on strengthening networks of peace builders, particularly women and youth, and also local and regional architectures, peace architectures. With the development and the spread of information technology, unfortunately, we have also seen the spread of misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation, and therefore exacerbating the existing fragility in some contexts already. As we will hear from our speakers, disinformation is used by local actors to promote their own agendas, and political gains, access to resources, or sowing instability. At a time of growing international competition, disinformation is also used by great powers to advance their own influence and their own agendas. The issue is not unique to one country or the region. It is truly cross-cutting and worldwide, and therefore, requires our collective attention. But this local solutions and local media, leaders, investigative journalists, those who are widely perceived in their communities to be knowledgeable and trustworthy. The solution will not come from outside. This is a should be a locally owned approach and strategy. Otherwise, we fall, we perpetuate the vicious cycle of misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation when this is pushed by illegitimate outside actors. I am pleased to introduce Archibald Henry, Program Officer for Central Africa and the Sahel here at USIP. Uh, I'm very fortunate to work with Archie, and I had few occasions travel with Archie, who is quite knowledgeable of the continent, I should say, and speaks all the languages spoken in the continent. So, and Archie works on misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation, and hate speech will most likely help guide the conversations. 
And so, Archie, please, the floor is yours, and thank you for being such a wonderful colleague. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sani, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Archie Henry. I'm delighted to be moderating today's discussion. Uh, thank you to all our guests that are joining us today um, for this event on confronting disinformation in Central Africa, perspectives from civil society in Chad and the Central African Republic. The event is taking place in both English and in French, and we have headsets available with simultaneous interpretation. So if you do not understand both languages, please feel free to raise your hand and a member of our team will, will help you have one of those. Thanks as well to uh, those of you joining us online today uh, in the US, in, in the African continent, and elsewhere. Um, disinformation is shared in a variety of methods, in private conversations, in public forums, in print, in media, social media, radio and TV. It affects all segments of society. Um, inflammatory rhetoric in particular and hate speech can target ethnic or religious minorities, women, uh, the elder, elderly, um, civic leaders, people with disabilities and other vulnerable groups. In Central Africa in particular, there are specific triggers for the spread of disinformation, which can range from tensions around a key political moment, like Chad's ongoing political transition, elections or referendums, uh, like those in the Central African Republic, uh, the action as well of malign forces and external actors, uh, including national ones and, and local forces, which, which can seek to sow confusion, uh, chaos, and also rip apart entire communities or even families um, through the sheer use of, of words. Um, other countries in the region, uh, like the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Cameroon, and further west in the Sahel region, um, uh, misinformation and disinformation continue to pose risks to peace and security. Um, in Central Africa overall, there is concern around the normalization of inflammatory rhetoric, um, which are often propagated through misinformation and disinformation. Political and conflict trends in the region call for focused peace-building approaches um, and, and significant vigilance around these trends um, in order to better promote community resilience and information resilience um, to, these, to these trends. We're delighted that USIP partners from the region um, and other experts are joining us today. We look forward to a very rich discussion with all of you. Um, the event will begin with a few opening remarks from our, our panelists. Uh, followed by a moderated discussion, as well as a, as a Q&A um, with those of you in the room today. Um, I'm very pleased uh, now to introduce our, our panelists. Um, we have Rosanne Gatondang-Zalang, founder and president of Association Jeunesse En Marche pour le Développement Centrafrique, which he has been leading since 2017. He is one of the leading <coughs> opinion leaders and activists for peace and reconciliation in the Central African Republic um, and has uh, led a variety of efforts in this area. In 2023, he was awarded uh, the Gold Medal of Labor by the Central African Order of Merit. Um, he has also spoken at the United Nations Security Council on the situation in CAR and the mandate of the UN mission uh, in CAR, MINUSCA. We also have with us today uh, Siobhan Spiak, uh, who serves as the regional coordinator for West Africa uh, and terrorist use of the internet for the State Department's Global Engagement Center, GEC, uh, and the Counterterrorism Directorate. Ms. Spiak's primary responsibility is to oversee regional programs and coordinate interagency engagement on public-private partnerships to counter violent extremist organizations. 
Joining us online today uh, as well from N'Djamena, Chad, we're very pleased to have with us uh, Yaminge Betimbaye, who could not be with us today, unfortunately, due to last-minute logistical challenges. Yaminge is Scientific Director and Political Analyst at Center for Research in Anthropology and Human Sciences, or CRASH, a Chadian think tank based in N'Djamena. He is a lecturer and professor at the University of N'Djamena, University of Mundu. He also holds a PhD in human and political geography. He is now the focal point of uh, CRASH's work in monitoring uh, the Chadian political transition and leads on uh, research uh, of security dynamics in the region. Um, I, would, I would love to begin uh, with this discussion today with a, a question for our panelists. Um, Dr. Betin Baye, joining us online today. CRASH and USIP have been uh, important partners in advancing constructive citizen debate in Chadian's transition and address disinformation issues. Could you tell us a little bit more about the Chadian context, the key trends in disinformation um, in, in this environment? Uh, we're, we're interested to hear more on, on this issue, how it plays out, uh, the key drivers behind it, um, what an organization like yours, CRASH, does to better address the phenomenon. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for the opportunity to speak with you for this very important event and to speak of the trends of misinformation in the context of Chad and also the implementation of the work of CRUSH. I will speak on three points. First off, all the main actors of disinformation in the Chadian context, uh, speaking and then misinformation, and how this touches upon young people in particular. And I will also speak on the points of leverage that are uh, available to fight against misinformation that are available to us. And as based on the efforts of CRASH, of the study of uh, human science and anthropology, we are working also together with American institutes. Within the Chad context, in the, it's a country in the Sahel region today who is at the heart of a space that is full of conflict. And Libya, is it the neighbor, Sudan as well, at east of Niger and Nigeria, and also Cameroon, and the Republic of Central Africa. With many security risks and danger, the war in Sudan, but also we have organized crime, we have a transnational organized crime at work here, and added to this in terms of as it pertains to Chad, as of April 2021, the President of the Republic, who had just been elected at the head of the country, he was killed during a fight while he was fighting against rebels. So the president, after this, the country went into a period of transition that was undertaken by the army, uh, and therefore um, 
and it has been 30, minute, 30 months now that the directors of the transition, transition have been working to organize negotiations with community groups and they've also opened up a national dialogue with various political actors. But in spite of all of this, the transition has uh, not led to a good outcome yet because there are still violent groups in the north. There are community tension that are getting stronger and stronger and bloodier and bloodier. And there are political, there's political infighting. Uh, and these are shown by violent, by by demonstrations that are violently repressed. And re there was one manifestation that led to 300 deaths of demonstrators. And so there is disinformation that is used by certain actors as a strategy for more mobilization of people. And this is what we realized with Crash between October, in October of 2022 and March of 2023. Uh, regarding the social media, we were able to identify the main actors of disinformation. And we can organize these actors in two categories. There are the politicians, there are the activists, the influencers, uh, within Africa and in the diaspora that are uh, the main actors of disinformation. And we also have young people, particularly uh, male students, that really um, propagate this disinformation. So speaking of politicians, they use, because of the position that they hold, disinformation purposefully or involuntarily to mobilize activists in their favor to support them. And a recent example, uh, the, some, there was a person who, on the one hand, Mr. Masahu, signed who signed a treaty, Masasukis, and after the signing of this agreement, that was going to, there was a false message that was distributed on the social media, and and so this led to the wrong names who were going to hold power. As I was telling you a while ago, this Masra Sukse was really using the social media to, in his own interest, uh, by sending out false information. And this created terrible animosity amongst the activists and the um, opposing leaders. And in addition, there were rebel groups that used misinformation to amplify their own um, agenda. So when there were conflicts or intercommunal conflicts, the use of disinformation, they used disinformation to increase hate within the community. And to this, we can add one more element 
in terms of the presence of the French military and then the mil Russian military in the Sahel region, disinformation really amplifies and expands feelings of hate. And the misinformation was used to influence the public in favor of the military, the Russian military in particular, over the French. So we identified a few factors regarding this within social media, in particular Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, which became X, uh, known as X, X today, and WhatsApp, because of its uh, ability, the which favorizes, which allows information to be spread rapidly with the algorithms. Over the years, there are a few uh, platforms such as blogs, uh, other platforms such as Facebook, really reinforce the psychology of violence to really, uh, to the, and praised Russia. So because of this disinformation, we also need to note that in Chad, the large part of the population were uh, discovering social media and all of the information that is now circulating on the internet was making it such that this misinformation really presents a terrible threat to peace. And here we are coming to uh, some deadlines that are very important, which is the uh, cons the election, the, con the rewriting of the cons readoption of the constitution, and then uh, elections that will be following. And what is certain is that the choice of many citizens, whether it is for this referendum during elections, this the choice of the citizens will be influenced by disinformation that is uh, spread across social media. We also note that disinformation is a catalyst um, in Chad. And this is why, in order to fight this, it is we need to, in CRASH, we take certain tools. We are took upon us some research to uh, see the content and the players and the actors of social media. And we have also organized meetings with leaders of civil society, with the uh, media. Uh, we've had seminars, workshops from people coming uh, from also the Cent Republic of Central Africa and the Congo to share our analysis, to share our experiences on this topic, to better address the topic. And to end my thoughts, uh, we are really living in a constant Text of fragile, very fragile context, and this danger of disinformation is very terrible. And to fight it efficiently, the we have to work with civil society, with media, with researchers, and they need to develop mechanisms that are based in the context. And these mechanisms can help to raise the awareness of the population
but also we are going to be able to do a tracking of the use of social media. The government should also work to pacify the, socio, the social climate, and they can ask civil society to and the researchers to take on these efforts. Uh, international actors also can can advocate uh, to ensure that the transition, governmental transition, will be done uh, respecting uh, the fundamental rights, human rights. Thank you. focus a little bit from the field um, to Washington, D.C. for another perspective on these issues. I'd, I'd love to um, you know, hear more from you, uh, Siobhan, on how does the U.S. government, on the State Department's Global Engagement Center, prioritize misinformation, disinformation, malinformation in its work, um, especially on the continent in Central Africa, and are there some illustrations that are relevant uh, from your work that you'd like to share? Thank you. Yeah, so I kind of want to start by stating something that's probably a bit obvious for folks in the room, but the information ecosystem is more permissive than ever in allowing malign state and non-state actors at any level to exert influence and really reach audiences to spread disinformation. Autocrats and violent extremist groups are using mystis and malinformation to co-opt and corrupt the information space to uh, influence and undermine the policies to security and stability of democracies around the world. And for the US Department of State, our goal is to ensure that credible information is not crowded out, to expose disinformation campaigns, and to really strengthen the integrity of the media landscape to promote democratic values and democratic communities around the world. And that's where my office, the Global Engagement Center, or the GEC, comes into play. So the GEC works to counter uh, foreign state and non-state actor propaganda and disinformation outside of the United States. And we work by coordinating a extensive and continuously expanding network of U.S. interagency and global partners and allies. Uh, looking at the African context and specifically the Central African region, we have been seeing this convergence of uh, strategic interests that are really trying to uh, propagate and take advantage of mystis and malinformation. Malign actors uh, will use this information to undermine public trust in government institutions and to uh, exploit uh, ethnic conflicts, uh, uh, local, uh, yeah, Global in, uh, issues and uh, insecurity uh, in order to gain uh, control in that region and to uh, build their influence. Uh, and specifically, where we're really seeing that is violent extremist organizations, VEOs, Russia, and China. So, looking first at VEOs, um, they continue to be one of the main threats to security and social cohesion uh, within Central African states and one of the main drivers of disinformation. Violent extremist groups will create instability by their own violent actions and then they'll use that instability as an opportunity to spread disinformation. And they often like to use uh, divisive socioeconomic issues and uh, ethnic tensions to really create that instability and allows them to promote their ideology, to recruit, and then to undermine that trust in any of the other um, authoritative groups that are around that might be threatening their level of power. 
We also see that violent extremist uh, activity and their propaganda is also a really good vector for foreign state actor uh, influence campaigns. And we've seen this in the Central African Republic, specifically with the Wagner Group, which is Kremlin-backed. Um, Russian officials say that the Wagner Group is a group of Russian instructors who have gone in to handle the CT issue and that they are going to bring peace and prosperity to the peoples of, of CAR. Um, but as we've seen from the reports from the UN and from uh, independent media, the Wagner Group has used indiscriminate killings, rape, abductions, just a variety of violent, violent tactics against the people of Central African Republic. And instead of coming in to actually help, they just try to gain their own influence. And it has instead uh, undermined the peace process for the country and has also tried to just uh, destabilize it. Um, in a bit of a more subtle way of where we're seeing influence happening within the African continent. We see that with China in their attempts to try and influence the academic narratives that we're seeing on African universities. So they will try to fund either departments or research in strategically important fields. And then they will try to withhold that funding if any faculty member tries to publish anything that is contrary to PRC messaging goals. To address these themes, we have seen in our research and our work that once disinformation is out there, you're not going to be able to take it back. The damage has already been done. The most effective strategy is to really build and engage these uh, community networks of local trusted entities that can help counter propaganda and disinformation. So, Kind of going into the work that the GEC has currently been doing in the region, we do have one program uh, with our counterterrorism counter director, which is one that I'm a part of, working with the Global Strategic Network. And it's a two-part program where we have a Facebook page where audiences get to learn about manipulative tactics through animated videos and logical fallacies, so like the bandwagon fallacy, um, to kind of educate them about how someone might be trying to manipulate them. And then they're directed to an online pre-bunking game. C'est une possibilité pour les publics de vraiment mettre à l'épreuve leurs compétences en réflexion critique à l'origine. And Niger, but we noticed that there was this organic engagement with the chatting audiences as well. I think uh, from the from the game's inception, we've had over 11,000 chatians play the pre-bunking game. And so when we decided to do a cost extension of the uh, of the program, we included chat in the most recent uh, tranche of our target audiences. And so that was in the last month or so. So as of October 17th, I believe, when our most recent video was released on the Facebook page, we've had over 20,000 chatian. Um, audience members engage with the video, watch it. So we're very interested to see how this will continue to grow. Um, I also want to also talk about the importance, really, of civil society and those private-public partnerships coming together to really help build the resiliency of people, um, specifically through our technology, our technology challenges that we've been doing. We've had done two on the continent. One was in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, in 2021, and the other one was Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire, uh, this past September. And it's an opportunity for technologists, innovators, members of the government, as well as civil society groups and academics to kind of come together and come up with these innovative solutions that are going to be uh, locally focused in context to try and find ways to counter propaganda and disinformation. Um, 
because it's something that as we look forward towards the future for us as a GEC and partially as the Department of State, it is to continue to create these concerted whole of society efforts to try and build this community of um, resilient, these like global resilient communities. Um, and so part of that for us, we recognize Africa as a part of that future and it's a priority region. And so we want to look for our African partners to, to, to learn from you and to figure out how we can best work together because to create these solutions, they're only going to be impactful if they're locally informed. And so we really value the work of civil society organizations in being able to create these uh, impactful and effective initiatives to counter propaganda and disinformation. Thanks. Uh, thanks for these really useful uh, points, especially on the work with uh, civil society in the region. We heard about um, some of the work in Central African Republic, or observations at least, of, of the trends lines there, and your work in Chad as well. Um, I wanted to turn to Central African Republic now that we've talked a little bit about Chad and our partner from the region, Rosan. Um, now that we've spoken a little bit about these issues, um, we'd love to hear from you on, uh, as a civil society leader um, and representative of a leading organization there. Can you tell us a little bit about the current tread lines in CAR, um, you know, what, what we heard um, about that context, and then how an organization like yours um, working on the ground helps to tackle disinformation issues and hate speech um, and promote community resilience or, or social cohesion. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you, partners. Thank you, friends. I'm truly very happy to be here with you today at this special meeting. I'm glad to have the chance to talk about hate speech and disinformation. Friends, my name is Rosen Gatondong, and I am president of an association that tries to make Central African Republic an inclusive place. We try to uh, allow people to develop their potential in an environment of respect for human rights. So we are an actor on the front lines of peace in CAR. This is, of course, thanks to the financial and technical support, which is uh, has been unconditional from USIP. Partners, friends, my country is in Central Africa. It has an area of 623,000 square kilometers and it has a wealth of natural resources. <coughs> However, the population is only 6 million people today. My country has undergone a number of uh, crises over the last 30 years. Now we are in the Seventh Republic. This follows a referendum that was held on July 30th, 2023. A new constitution was promulgated on August 30th, 2023 by the Constitutional Court. However, this constitution has been very contested by political classes 
and the Democratic opposition. So today's context is a major uh, challenge for peace and stability in my country. It is urgent to act, taking concrete actions in favor of peace in order to continue to reduce the risks of conflict that can take multiple forms and hit multiple sectors in my country. Since June 2020, and up till this date, there have been significant efforts made by my organization, Ajamadek, and USIP together. They have been working on fighting hate speech and disinformation. These efforts have significantly contributed to reducing conflict risk in Central African Republic. For example, risks of conflict before, during, and after the referendum held on July 30th, 2023. What are these efforts? The publication of a lexicon of terms existing in my country, training workshops for community leaders and organizations of civil society, as well as for internet users and influencers, and community leaders, as well as influential polit politicians, we have carried out local awareness raising activities as well regarding social media and community. Ra we've also used radio, uh, community radio. In 2023, we also received some small grants that allowed us to create a consortium for uh, peace builders in Central African Republic. So we're seeing synergy among different leaders who are working in favor of peace. In 2022, we also created a, a platform. So Ajamadek, my organization, has also been eligible to receive uh, financial support from the National Endowment for Democracy. Now, concerning the socio-political, economic, and security situation, which is very worrisome and which is worsened by disinformation and hate speech, I strongly recommend encouraging and strengthening the efforts of Ajamadek and its partners. This could take uh, the form of strategic, technical, material, and financial support. This would allow us to safeguard the peace process, as well as the process of building the Central African democracy. They are currently today very exposed to violent predators. That is why Ajmadek in order to face up to these challenges, has decided to carry out the following initiatives in the Central African situation. First of all, creating and implementing a support fund for Central African Initiatives for Peace called FICAP, supporting actions of the uh, Peace Builders Consortium and synergies between community, young community leaders 
creating and implementing, and I'm really very pleased uh, to mention this, a publication about disinformation and fighting hate speech in CAR. Another effort is to create and implement a, w a web TV channel for fighting disinformation and hate speech. And on, in the long term, this could become a TV channel for promoting peace and democracy. Because it's really a, a challenge to be close to the population. And it's very important to have community-based efforts. So we are also working to strengthen awareness raising in Bangui. And we're also interested in building, equipping, or supplying and supporting a national youth organization for culture. And this would actually allow us to provide long-term support for the peace process in Central African Republic. All right, I would like to conclude my remarks with this phrase, my voice, the Central African uh, people is counting on you to save peace in our country, which is in danger. Long live friendship between um, uh, the USA and Central African Republic. CAR contexts um, the actions on the ground uh, to mitigate um, disinformation hate speech. Very, very illuminating. Um, before we open it up to questions from the floor and uh, Q&A with the audience, I'd like to ask one uh, follow-up question for our panelists, uh, including um, uh, Yaminge, who's online with us. Um, if I can start with you, Yaminge, si je peux commencer, peut-être que je vais... If I can begin with you, I will ask the question in French. If it is easier like this, I would like to know from your analysis if there are any particular methods that you feel are more efficient than others in the fight against disinformation, and are there tactics that have not yet been used that you believe are rather promising within that arena? Thank you very much, and hello to all. Good evening, hello. It's late here. It's uh, nighttime already. I would like to begin by saying that, that we have uh, really rivalities uh, within the larger powers in this whole arena, as Madame Sviak was saying earlier whether it's Russia, whether it's China, whether it's France. We re observe quite often it is the, the, the bigger powers who, who, who are playing out their ri rivalry and within social media. And I will speak on the rivalry between France and Russia, for example. In just this past April, it was uh, just said, in the northern part of Central Africa, that uh, with there is the presence of Wagner also in the south of Chad. And in April of last year, 
taking advantage of the intercommunal uh, conflicts, continuing conflicts, they, um, the, the, the Chad decided to create a border um, post in the south of the country near the border in the Central African Territory uh, near the Wagner position. So what took place? And this is what I am coming to. There were journalists, in particular, one who has a was very near the position uh, positions, and he has a good. Uh, he's close to the uh, Russian forces. He put out a series of photographs right after the creation of this um, of this outer post near the border, so that the French soldiers that that said that French soldiers had been killed by bees, and eight of them had been killed. So this, of course, uh, inflamed the Chadians. Yes, the French. The French are not strong. They uh, were they were killed just by bees. But this was all false. The images that were published, it was easy to determine by a search for videos online that these videos came from China, uh, from an incident in 2013, and another one from Shanghai in 2014. And these were distributed on the social media, and uh, many uh, public opinion was swayed by this. And there was an intense, therefore, usage of disinformation in the rivalry between the great powers um, within the Chad arena. And I was, as I was saying earlier, it is in, it is in particular on the national dialogue that in. Uh, uh, that these, this misinformation is really mobilized, also uh, targeting ethnical ethnic di differences. So it's important to promote proper, true information. And journalists can do this. But today, there is also a large diffu uh, diffusion of blogs, as well as social media. So I think it would be important to promote the truth using professional actors, such as journalists, but also bloggers and influencers. And I was following with, uh, I listened with much interest the uh, intervention of Mrs. Spiak earlier. I think, I think that these methods are very useful for young people. Young people, students, are the first victims, in fact, of disinformation. They are the ones who use social media the most, and they are the ones who share and um, this false information. And so it's important to really efficiently reach uh, this audience of students with the truth. And this can also uh, help to counter, in a meaningful and sustainable way, the misinformation that is being dif distributed. Thank you. So much, Yamin. I'm going to now turn to Rosan for another follow-up question as well. 
Perhaps if you have any thoughts on what Dominguez said uh, within the Chadian context, if there are any similarities in terms of the mechanisms of information in the CAR, and the effect on young people, and also to ask you, what are the modalities that um, that you have used uh, such with Gemadec to really reach the uh, populations in more remote areas who don't always have access to internet or less access uh, to internet than in other areas? And so what are the methods that can be used to better reach those populations? Thank you. I think that Chad and the uh, CAR, Central African Republic, uh, from I think there are many similarities based upon uh, my knowledge and travels. I think we need to take into account the effects of disinformation. The political actors much use, use disinformation much more as a new weapon today to destabilize uh, their countries. Also, armed groups, for example, uh, and last October 9th, uh, there was a paralysis of, in all the schools because it said that there were some armed forces who were going to um, who are going to uh, attack them, and so all the schools were closed. So you can imagine th how this disinformation has negative effects on children, on young people, even on women, because all of the activities, all social activities were paralyzed, were shut down that day. And so, so, and, you know, 30 minutes after this disinformation was diffused and disseminated, there was no activity. So it's really important for us to take a much closer uh, pay more attention to youth because if they want to uh, stop everything, they do it through young people. And so we need to change the mentality and the behavior of young people in, insofar as how they receive and perceive social media so uh, they are less at risk of uh, being duped by uh, misinformation. And so in terms of new technologies, te new technologies, we also have a new co community approach to work uh, with one uh, option, which is monitoring. We we put into place uh, community um, organizations in the local languages that. And we ask the community leaders to relay information to their own communities in their own areas and to explain how this uh, hate talk and how this disinformation uh, functions so that they can reduce the risks of it. Thank you. I have an, another question. For Siobhan, before opening it up uh, to questions, but I wondered if you, know, you see specific information gaps uh, in this field um, in terms of this information. Like, what additional information could we glean? Or, or are there recommendations on, on program priorities going forward? Um, thinking in particular about um, 
you know, public-private partnerships or, um, you know, we know that AI in particular can be a driving force behind disinformation. Yeah. How can it be perhaps leveraged? <clears throat> yeah, so I think I'll take the AI part first. Um, a part of that for us is an evolving space that we're just seeing that technology is just growing at such a rapid rate. It's really hard to be uh, right there with it and to counter it effectively. <clears throat> especially the type of uh, disinformation that we're seeing that's being generated by AI. Um, but something that we are interested in is seeing how we can incorporate um, teaching audiences, and particularly youth, like, like, like we were saying, it's really important that we get to them first. Um, in any of our media and digital literacy programming, like in, in any ways to teach them about learning those skills that maybe teach them about generative AI and being able to identify what that looks like to have that kind of built into those kind of spaces. Um, <clears throat> I guess I'll just kind of work backwards because like for priorities for us, yeah, it's like that is a priority for us um, as well as I think looking at where people fall into the gaps. So kind of in those rural areas, places that don't have access to internet. So any kind of disinformation they're gonna hear, they don't have other, vent, they don't have other uh, resources to really fact check or verify that information. So how do we get that information to them? Um, there's actually a, another uh, product that's in the process of getting created through the GEC that is a Swahili-based uh, Choose Your Own Adventure T9 focused um, game that's going to be available to those who have a, a dumb phone uh, who can call in and they can play this game. It's going to be about maybe five, ten minutes. But it's going to give them an opportunity to practice their critical thinking skills and be able to uh, practice digital literacy to a degree. And it's going to be in this <clears throat> format. And so um, it really is important to just try and find ways to reach those who are not in a space that they can get that kind of information more regularly. Um, and primarily, we are seeing that in, in Africa. Like That is the main priority region for us for more programming and, and more opportunities to work with partners there. Great. That's a really interesting example. And I'd, I'd love to see if there are questions uh, in the audience here. I saw one hand earlier. Um, feel free to ask in English or French. Um, please say your name, organization, and, and keep the question brief so that our panelists can, can respond. Would be great. Thank you so much. We have one question here. Go first. Uh, hi, Hugues Marsac. I work at the International Republican Institute. I will ask the question in French, which will be easier for those who don't have headsets. My question is for Shiban. Uh, sorry if I mispronounced your name. Yaminga mentioned early in his. Uh, talk the important role of Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp in all as vehicles of misinformation that really lead, leads to disinformation. And I was wondering what can be done uh, from the United States to work with these institutions to fight against disinformation in the countries of Central Africa, in, in, in CAR, in Chad, because uh, there is a legislative uh, corpus in the U.S. and in Europe to put into place and implement means to fight disinformation, to, to, to pull off any kind of hate talk and language. But there is not, as far as I know, this kind of uh, uh, obligation in uh, the region of Central Africa with Facebook or with other online and 
platforms to there's nothing really to motivate them to do so in Chad or C, the CAR. And I was wondering if we look at all of the Facebook pages, is there a, a mechanism to ensure that these uh, platforms such as Facebook can be uh, requested to remove these this hate these hate talks and dialogue on their platforms? And I was wondering, therefore, is there a way to um, to mandate this for these uh, platforms? A hands raised. So maybe Donna, would you like to add <coughs> too? And then go. Oh, go ahead. Bonsoir à tous. Moi c'est. Hello, my name is Leon De Prano. I am also from the same institute. Thank you so much for your interventions and your. My question is for Mr. Yamige. You mentioned the aspect of what I often call institutional needs to have good information to ensure that journalists and others do their work properly. And then also I wanted to ask, in, in your responses, I saw that actions are much more centered on uh, reactions, fast-checking, checking the quality of information. But what efforts are you taking to resolve these uh, as a preventive way? Who can do this uh, work because t as a better method? And what are the aspects in terms of the security issues? And the last point is about the relationships between the large powers. Uh, so when disinformation comes, there's also often a lack of transparency between France and its ex-colonies um, from the military and economic perspectives. And I'm wondering, what do you think could be put into place to ensure more transparency, even uh, state actors, even when there are new actors? What is the... What are the efforts that are being made so that society in general can be better informed? Thank you so much. Merci. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so when looking at like the private partnerships and how we can work with technology companies, a lot of it is, it's the information sharing. It's how do we let them know kind of what we are seeing and finding ways to kind of just have that working relationship so then that way they can come to us with stuff that they're seeing and we can kind of work together. Now, in regards to getting the information that is disinformation, misinformation, getting that offline, that from, from the United States perspective, that's kind of a, a tricky space because for us, the First Amendment is our main thing. And so it is more so recognizing in our place content that incites to violence. Usually is going to be the type of content that you might try to take down. But when it comes to moderating content or to help these uh, companies better work, I would say probably in the Central African region, it's a lot of times they don't have the language skills to identify maybe where that language is coming from. They don't know the, like the, the coded language that could be used and have that contextual information, like the, the slang that's being used uh, to identify maybe, hey, if someone's talking about, I don't know, 
a chicken's wearing a red shirt. They should know that that means uh, that there's this group that's going to try and cause damage uh, next week at this election. Um, so it's like making sure that they have that kind of information, I think, is really important. And I think that continues to be an ever-evolving conversation that we're having with tech companies of just like making sure that their terms and agreements that they're being implemented and executed appropriately where they are and that to um, just really kind of promote to them the importance of having that contextualized information to help them be stronger in what they're trying to do. Um, and, and I think that would probably be really helpful in the context uh, for the region because, yeah, there isn't a ton that's there right now. Um, but that's probably where we're at at this point, but it's going to continue just to be an, an evolving conversation over time. Thanks. And yeah, the, the point on context specific and like teases is really, really critical. Um, so the, great question and thanks so much for taking that. Perhaps on the second question, if uh, maybe I can start with Yaminge, if that's okay. Peut-être Yaminge, si vous avez des réactions. Yaminge, any reactions to this institutional approach question? Sure, thank you. And hello, uh, uh, Leandre Bano, who came to our office. Actually, uh, at Crash, my organization, we work with the media in order to improve the quality of information. And we also try to encourage the media to uh, perform fact-checking so there, we have a whole series of activities with the media. And I would also admit that even civil society leaders are considered to be community information leaders, so we work with them as well. Now, in terms of state actors, it's a little harder, and that's for one reason. Today, Chad is trying to manage the transition. We're seeing the effects of crises around the country. And if they aren't worried about managing the transition, they're trying to mitigate the effects of the war in Sudan. And so government actors actually are focused on other things right now. That's why at CRASH, we have started on started trying to work to bring together civil society actors as well as government actors as partners in this fight, which is for us really an ex existential fight. When government actors are face to face with civil society actors and government actors feel like they're being accused, that's very difficult. But when they work together, they can feel like they both have an interest in this fight. We want government actors to really take ownership of this fight. There was recently an, uh, a meeting of influencers around the topic of hate speech. It was very interesting. And we're trying to work on advocacy in this way. These actors can understand that they aren't enemies around this question of disinformation and fighting hate speech. At CRASH, we are here at the beginning of the transition, and we are 
really trying to work with the support of USIP to uh, to really take this issue under control because these are things that are going to remain once the transition has been accomplished. Thank you, Yaminge. Roseanne, do you have anything to add? Yes, of course. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Now, I can talk about the Central African context. It's very, there is a big financial difficulty to, ha to have a credible media outlet. I can tell you that our media is, uh, does not have a lot of financial support and media professionals are really easy prey for those who wish to manipulate them by offering money. So if we want to have true, correct information from the media, we would need to consider improving the working environment of media professionals. Adjumadek is currently uh, working on a 2024 plan. We're trying to create a mediation plan between civil society and the government. We've been, we've already uh, been able to create a space for free democratic exchange with different actors. And it's really quite interesting now to work on, on advocacy and um, to work with government actors to put them in touch with civil society actors. Here's something else I can add. We would like to go further. We'd like to work with elected officials at the national level. We think that we could achieve a law that would uh, strengthen a communications council that exists in our country. Its responsibility is to regulate the media. We're hoping to strengthen this institution, if possible, through a law, or we would like to otherwise revise an existing law. Thus, we can give this fight against hate speech a chance, but it is difficult. Thank you so much. That was another excellent question. The first row, uh, Donna, if you'd like to ask things. We could take probably another one after that if there are others. Thank you so much, Archie. Really appreciate um, a very robust conversation. Um, appreciate all of the uh, questions and responses from panelists and audience members. This is really uh, an important discussion. My question is is focused on uh, government intervention and response, and I'd like to focus my question toward uh, Messieurs uh, Yamenge and Rosen, please. Um, in in your view, what is the proper role for the government in addressing these issues, either proactively or reactively? And what is your assessment of what government actors are doing now? And do you see some space for additional resources, attention, um, capabilities um, that can either be mustered or 
or convened in partnership with civil society and with additional support from countries like the United States, um, other interested parties in Europe, and elsewhere. Thank you. Um, maybe Rosan, would you, or Yamige, would one of you like to respond to this question on the role of, of the governments? Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, in the case of my country, the government really has a role to play in the fight against disinformation. Why? The people tend to believe what people in the government say. We need to recognize this. Any information coming from the government in my country is believed by the people, even if it's false, even if it's poor information. The people see information coming from the government as true. That's why we want the government to be more involved in the fight against dis, uh, disinformation and hate speech. This would really help mitigate risks of conflict through these uh, channels. So I can talk to you about something that Ajamadek worked on. We initiated an effort to support the government in the fight against disinformation. So we created an organization bringing together different civil society actors for the very first time. And so we have this platform, actually, for different civil society actors. We're hoping that the gendarmes, police officers, and other law enforcement agencies can also get involved on this platform. Even the justice system. We have our criminal code, but the big problem is this. We have not yet had judicial action in cases where there's been an incident. So. We would really like to encourage our government to get involved in this fight against disinformation and hate speech. Thank you, Rosan. And I think Yaminge also may have something to say. Absolutely. In terms of Chad, our government is more reactive than proactive at, the, at this point. I think that this is not sufficient. In the current situation, the Chadian government is not well positioned. It's not well positioned to take up the fight against disinformation. The situation itself is not particularly de democratic or peaceful. And this context has contributed to the government's ineffectiveness or inaction. So the government appears as an indirect actor for disinformation and misinformation. And so it's really quite difficult for it to take up this fight in that role. 
However, yeah, th yes, these are, these are challenges that the government is not really able to take up at the moment in order to effectively combat disinformation or hate speech, for that matter. Um, contrary to what Rosan said about Central African Republic, Chad has uh, a problem with, with public information. The interpreter regrets to remark that the speaker is cutting up. There is a segment of the people that does not believe in what the government is saying. Now, there are certain actions that we could take. We could work in the education sector, and that's something that might be of interest to the government. Aspiak made a presentation of a possible uh, possible action, and it's a proposal that could be integra integrated into the education sector. This is something that could be of interest to the government. This is also the case for training of the media in order to promote the spread of correct information. This could happen at uh, uh, journalism schools or at, me at the level of um, media regulation in the government. We see a possibility there to collaborate with the government. Now, in terms of civil society, it's just a question of community awareness raising. This is something that civil society is has is able to work on with some effectiveness civil society can raise awareness about the risks of hate speech and about the importance of fact checking and verifying information so that's what i might be able to add to this conversation thank you yuminge this was really a very interesting uh Response. So we're, we're seeing responses from the field, from Washington, about how to face up to these issues. Are there any other uh, from the audience? There's perhaps, um, would you like to start? Merci. Thank you. I'm Vivian with Africa Society. And I'd like to ask my question of our two presenters from Africa. Would it be possible to create a program that could be then replicated in neighboring countries? And to what extent do you have the funding necessary to, to do such a thing? So DRC is a southern neighbor for you. And we're seeing that there is a high level of disinformation in that country right now. I also just wanted to add a little note on disinformation. It exists here in our country, that is to say the United States. We saw that in the previous elections. You are not the only people who are suffering from this problem. Thank you. 
Thank you. Is there one other question? Go ahead. Hello, Razan. Hello, Yaminge. My name is Wapinji. I work here at USIP, and I have a question. It's about influential groups. So, in I'm, I'm hearing that in CAR, people trust the government, not so much in Chad. Are there other external actors that are seen as as wise people, maybe village leaders, or another third party that would be able to really explain the situation of disinformation? Is there such a third party in Chad or Central African Republic? I know it exists in other countries. Thank you. Roson, maybe you would like to answer both of those questions, the question about programs that can be duplicated, and the, the uh, question of people who are tr third parties who are trusted. Sure. Now, concerning the first question, well, I think that w we're actually already working with Chad on a program for the sub-region. I also have a friend in the DRC, and we're trying, again, to create this sub-regional program that would allow us to work conjointly on fighting disinformation and hate speech. Now, no, I don't think that this third party really does exist at this point. There are local actors, but they're having trouble really influencing the people. And this is due to the crises that we see in different places. We are working on having a strong civil society so that we could use the civil society to influence the government to uh, to work with the population. Thank you, Rosan. And Yaminge, maybe uh, you would like to say something. Your internet was a bit slow, so if it cuts out, maybe you can just turn off your video. But we're very interested in hearing what you have to say on both of these questions, the um, regional programs and the th wise third parties. Thank you so much. I'm going to come back to what Rosette said earlier. So we so with uh, we work with our colleagues of Jemadik and our, uh, others in uh, Central Africa and also in Chad. These are perspectives that we all share. I do believe that there is the possibility of replication if there is an an initiative that uh, proves to be efficient in one uh, area or one locality or another. The question, of course, often is funding in countries such as ours. And so, therefore, many times we there are good ideas that, that are unable to be see the light. Um, so this is something that we could look at. Uh, 
we could be to, to share our experiences, our thoughts, our critical thinking uh, in the region with CAR and Chad and the um, DRC. Chad is a country that is very religious, with a large part of the population being Muslim, and another large component that is Christian, perhaps 40 to 50 percent on each side. And then there are others who are believers. And so I believe the religious leaders are actors who are well listened to. And, and we have worked with them through an initiative called the Group of the Elders in, with CRUSH. Uh, also with CRUSH, we have understood that there are actors that come from civil society and from the government who have certain uh, capabilities and competencies and who can speak to uh, former government officials, for example, or others from civil society, and they can get together, and if they can understand that together, they can have a greater influence. And this is why CRASH is always working to have the, um, to, to, um, to start a an advisory group, and we are hoping that that this advisory group can play an important role, can advocate, can uh, speak both with the government actors as well as the actors of civil society and bring them closer. Thank you so much, Yaminge, for these very concrete examples. And on this third uh, me way, as you mentioned, using influential actors. Uh, maybe one or two, uh, if there's any other questions from the floor. Um, OK. No more questions from the floor. Peut-être... Um, ah, OK. Just une question. I have just one question concerning this program that was begun in Swahili. Does this exist in other languages or not, or are you looking to expand this program? So perhaps uh, she had to leave the room. I'm so sorry. But perhaps when she returns, she can um, let us know if it's being done. This program is being undertaken in other languages. Perhaps while we wait for Siobhan's return, if she's feeling better. I don't know, Rosanne, if you have any uh, concluding remarks in the meanwhile. Uh, to share, uh, uh, to share, in, and then uh, in terms of what the others have brought you today, this discussion in terms of leaders of civil society in CAR. Very interesting. I really appreciated everything in terms of the people of CAR are rather peaceful people. And we really are um, engaged to work for peace. Um, and uh, through different uh, local initiatives that we've already put into place, thanks to some grants that we have received for local organizations to undertake short-term actions, but very efficiently. 
and to also work with um, uh, actors working towards peace, having mediation between t the two uh, political blocs in our country, uh, you know, the democratic, uh, to, to allow really um, the convert. It's a, we are at a very interesting point in our country currently, and to allow the different actors to speak in a more peaceful way. You were discussing in the Swahili language and whether it's uh, available in other languages. Is that, did I get your question correct? Yes, that is correct. It's really fascinating because it's asked and you've never seen it and understanding it. Yeah, it's a Apologies, I'm getting over a cold, so occasionally like, my throat just wants to start coughing, so I'm sorry, I keep sipping out. Um, so for that program, for that particular product right now, it's just going to be created in Swahili, but we do also have Cat Park, which is uh, the GEC's actually um, award-winning game on countering, uh, on teaching people about media literacy and digital literacy, and that's been translated into like, I think 17 languages at this point, and it is actually in the process of um, being reconfigured for African audiences. So we're going to do the language, we're going to change the background, the context, all make it specific for um, African audiences, and that is going to be available also soon in Swahili and Amharic. So that's coming up. Um, but I would say Cat Park is a really great one to look at. And we also have Harmony Square, which is a similar um, uh, online game. Uh, this is usually on a, on a web browser. It shouldn't take too much of a bandwidth to play. Um, but they're locate, available in many, many languages um, to allow audiences to learn. Great, thanks. I think we, we might have time for one more question. Please. Uh, maybe mine is a little bit, sorry. Um, so I work in education and in public diplomacy. And I tried out those two games. Yes. Um, they were exciting, but I was nervous with using them because to get more points, you actually use disinformation. And, um, and I wondered about that strategy. <clears throat> so the whole idea is like the inoculation theory, and it's really to kind of show people it, it is a weird thing where you're kind of like, okay, you want me to actually try and use disinformation? You want me to use these tactics? But the answer is we want to show you in a, in a safe, structured way how to use them so you also understand how they are being used potentially against you. Because also at the end of these games, you get the opportunity to reuse those same tactics to try and fix some of the uh, damage that you've caused. So it's like in, in Cat Park or... Um, <clears throat> That one, it's to basically, uh, there's a story about that the government is trying to build this neighbor, this park for cats and how they're wasting government resources and all this stuff that should be going towards roads and for schools for children. And you're being told that, oh, there's this group of people and only they know the truth and you're going to help them. And this, you go through this process of um, learning these tactics and then you find out, well, no, it's just this one guy who wants to lower the cost of land so that he can buy something and build what he wants to do. It's not, a, there's no cat park. It's not a big deal at all. And, but, 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 but at this point you've now uh, have created these memes and you've done all these things and people have gone crazy and have gone to the streets and are, have caused damage to the public space. And you realize like, oh no, I've, I've done this. And so now you get to go back through and show maybe the, the photos you took were actually doctored, that that wasn't actually the case, that put memes maybe saying of how things are fine with cats and different things like that and you kind of get the opportunity to to use it in a way to see that 
it can be used for good too, because I, I think that's also goes back to what we talked about AI and technology earlier. There's so many positive things to it. Like for where there is bad, you can also apply it for good. And so it's just trying to teach people to be aware of what of how it's being used against them and, and what that may look like, but then how that can be used as a positive uh, response and potentially uh, just a way to, to counter it in the first place. Thanks so much. Uh, I wanted to thank the panelists uh, today, uh, Rosan, Yaminge, Siobhan, um, for, for participating in this really rich discussion. Uh, we hope there's some useful lessons that we can all take away from this in terms of context-specific analysis, local knowledge, um, languages, um, and expertise, and institutional approaches um, from a, a proactive um, approach to also reactive in some cases. Uh, so thanks as well to all of you that joined today in person and online from around the world. Um, we really thank you for this, and we uh, will we'll be in touch again soon with, with more of these discussions on this important issue. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts.